All right, guys, it's time for the Next Level Guy Show, a men's interview, interest, and improvement-focused podcast featuring interviews with the greats from all industries to help you better your life. Each week, a new episode features an interview with one of the greats covering all aspects of their story, from life hacks to tips and protocols that have allowed them to live life on the next level. We then highlight concrete action steps that you can use to improve your life. And now, your host, Ian Dawson McKay. And today's guest is Yats Palat. Yats is a relationship and inner work guru who specializes in healing past trauma and reparenting the inner child. He uses his skills of psychoanalysis to get behind the curtains into people's minds, helping them discover the blocks and self-limitations that prevent them from living a life of love and freedom. His company has grown to support people across the world through his therapeutic programs and retreats. He shines a light in those dark areas where we hold on to the wounds and shame that is holding us back and teaches us how to comfort and make peace with those emotions to live a happier, healthier future. Outside of work, Yats has an incredibly alive inner child, living, laughing and connecting with souls, helping them love their inner children too. He's incredibly approachable and loves travel, sports, humour and play, and he wants you to live life as the real you. In this interview, we discuss how to work with your ego, comfort your inner child, remove limitations holding us back, and Yats does a real-time exercise with me that leaves me speechless and emotional. I know you'll take a lot from this like I did. And now, let's get to the interview. Well, thank you so much for coming on. It's an absolute joy to have you come on. Um, I followed you on social media for so long now. You've helped me shine a light on some dark dark bits of my own psyche. But I bet you've never had people tell you that. But <laughs> for people who don't recognize the name, and you're going to get a lot of fans from this, how would you describe who you are and how you're changing so many lives? Oof. You know, when I saw this uh, question up front uh, to prompt me, I, I, I always am stumped by this. How do I describe myself? Because, you know, I live in Mexico and sometimes the easiest thing, especially with languages to say, oh, I'm a psychologist or a psychoanalysis, which is my greatest skill set, irrespective of qualifications, etc. But what I really like to think uh, of myself as is a, an inner child specialist. Someone who can help you recognize where your traumas, your challenges, and your issues are really coming from so that in your life today, you can, by addressing the core, you can create an absolutely different result. You can show up differently than you expected. You can be much more evolved, much more elevated, and, and attract the life you truly desire instead of the life you're just continuously um, repeating. I love that. I love how you make it sound so simple, but <laughs> I, I know it's some amazing work that you do, but how would you go about working with somebody? Like say you had a mm. client come in because we always think of therapy as talking about this, talking about that. We don't really understand probably over in the UK as much about the inner child, reparenting, things like that. What would your role be when you're working with somebody? That's a great question. So, the best way I've found to address 
where people need to change is go after what they're attached to the most, what they want the most, or even what they're hurting from the most. All of those things tend to, to connect. So where I go after it specifically with clients is relationships. And I'll address, and I do this on my social media, and I've gotten the knack of doing it fairly well, where I'll address certain pain points of what people are experiencing in their lives through either loneliness, through relationships, through their lack of self-worth, ultimately where it leads into. And then when they feel this pain hitting them so strongly and they're like, holy shit, this is exactly what I've gone through. This is what I'm hurting from. And no one's been able to recognize it or recognize where it's coming from. I'll even provide a little bit of the journey of where it comes from or where it tweaks in from the mind or the subconscious. Then people finally get to the awareness that, oh my God, my relationship isn't messed up just because my partner's like X, Y, Z, or because I run away from commitment. My relationship's like this because of conditioning, uh, of wounds, of stories I've carried for so long. And that's when they finally recognize that they need a big le a level of change and not just talking to a therapist or talking to someone to say, hey, yeah, this is what happened this week. Okay, cool. I'll see you next week. Because I mean, I've done neuro linguistic programming, I've done a bit mm -hmm. of CBT and stuff, and it is a bit like that. You know, it's kind of what's facing you now. It's not what's actually stemming the the you know the river of bullshit that is your personality. You know, it's, but right. I, mean, I like I like that you did with the inner child because I never really appreciated until I started looking at your like psychological prompts on your social media when you mm -hmm. really give your thought-provoking questions of, okay, that is actually stemmed from there. And you start remembering events that you've always blocked off, that they've always been pain points. You know, we're psychological sponges at young ages. Yeah. Is there a, kind of a, a way of looking and understanding how the, the what happened then shapes our beliefs, our culture, our approaches to relationships? How do we understand what happened to us as our inner child affects our future mm -hmm. self this is a great question and i'm going to take a few minutes on this so if anybody's listening out here get comfy get on some popcorn in the microwave because this is going to take a little while um but this is probably the the best part of my work and one of the most essential things i ever learned about the human condition so what I do is I combine neuroscience with the actual work of relationships and with trauma. So I can explain to people that this is not just some philosophical stuff that's coming to you or spiritual stuff. This is real stuff. There's a reason why these relationships are being sabotaged or being destroyed or, you know, people are leaving and, and you know, it's triggering you. So the science behind when we're children is when we're born, we don't have a developed enough forebrain. That's the frontal part of the brain, the prefrontal cortex, et cetera. But what we do have is a very developed hind brain. Now, this part is the reptilian brain, which is very essential for human survival, survival being a key word here. And so this part of the brain is all about, you know, having your emotions, needing to eat, sleep, poop, you know, cry, all the things that babies need, right? Because mm -hmm. that's essential for what they need at that period of time. Now, a baby doesn't need to solve complex mathematical problems. A baby doesn't need to understand what marriage is like. A baby doesn't even need to understand what friendship is like at that particular time. So all of that stuff is gone with the lack of a forebrain. And that's also the part of the brain where the baby understands or the child understands who they are or what their identity is. Now, why is this important? Because you can take a brown baby and you put it with, let's say, a white baby or a, you know any other color baby, and they wouldn't know the difference. 
because they don't know how to identify themselves. So everything for them is just equal in love. <clears throat> so the next question is, how does a baby learn to identify themselves, who they are, what they like, and most importantly, what they're worth? And this comes through a concept called neuroception, where for a child to understand its own value, its own worth, its own identity, it doesn't know it in, in inherently because that's with a forebrain. It discovers it by watching how the world around it treats that child. So now you move into the next step saying, okay, so what if this child is a beautiful, loving, worthy child, like just as they are, but they're born into a household where it doesn't even have to be that someone's abusive. Maybe the father has been through two wars, had a difficult childhood himself, and he doesn't know how to be emotionally available for this child. So this child now runs up to daddy and says, daddy, love me, play with me. But daddy's so hyper fixated on work or other mechanisms that daddy doesn't know how to hug this child. So daddy shoes away this child, pushes away this child, denies this child a hug. Now, remember, this child doesn't have the developed forebrain to say, oh, yeah, you know what? This is my logical reasoning kicking in. Daddy's not able to hug me because daddy just fought in a war and got shot in the foot. Duh, makes sense. No, the child, for them, they simply see daddy's not loving me. There must be something wrong with me. Now, if the child comes back the second time, but daddy's reaction has changed, then in the child's mind, they're like, oh, maybe that was just a one-off incident. But when you have emotionally unavailable parents, let's say you have emotionally abusive parents, you have parents who may be alcoholics, you have parents who simply just don't know how to love you and meet your needs the way you deserve them, that's as simple as it is, that's enough for a child to feel rejected. And if a parent chooses something else over this child, like let's say the parent continuously chooses work and their own value from work over loving their child, then that's enough for the child to feel abandoned. So now as this story continuously builds up and the child's mind develops, this story locks into what we call the subconscious mind. The subconscious mind is the part of the mind that actually drives us, drives our decisions, our actions, our choices, our choices of partner, choice of work, everything. And this information is primarily, this part of the mind is primarily active between the ages of zero to five and five to 18. And so at this stage, if what the child is receiving is not the, the love that they really deserve or even expect, but instead, and here's the honest truth, is that they're receiving a kind of love, but a kind of love that the parents are only capable of. Now, this can create a disconnection, right, between what they expect or need and what the parents are capable of. And this disconnection is enough for the child to feel like, I'm not lovable enough to have all my needs or my expectations met. Now, if you add to that someone who's abusive, like I unfortunately had an abusive childhood. I love my parents very much. They love me very much. But what they were capable of giving me was a projection of their own wounds and stories. So I was beaten. I was sent away to boarding school. So I had huge abandonment wounds, a dysregulated nerve system, et cetera. Now, to add and connect to how this, this um, connects to our relationships today, if, you know, by the age of 18, the subconscious mind is fully developed after which point it kind of locks, kind of like a door, it closes down. So you can't really feed that much information into it. But at the same time, this thing is driving your life. At the same time at 18 is when your forebrain, the prefrontal cortex finally fully develops. And this is the part of the brain that makes, you know, does logical reasoning, mathematical problems, helps identify who you are, etc. So that's why legally around the world, governments have called this the adult age, because they think by this time you're able to make adult decisions. But what mm -hmm. drives these decisions? What drives these decisions is not the forebrain. It's actually what's in the subconscious mind.
So I have clients who are 70 years old who come to me and say, yeah, I had, I had someone who was a psychologist and a psychotherapist, a very famous one came to me and said, yeah, I cannot offer my clients a true solution if I'm not able to find it in my own life. Why am I continuously attracting partners who don't know how to show up for me? And I said it in one simple sentence, <clears throat> it's because that's what you're used to. That's the idea of love that in your own development, you got so used to, it locked into your subconscious mind. And therefore, this is something that you now use when you go into relationships to prepare yourself for. And so the brain hates change. It loves being really comfortable. What's the best way to be comfortable is to do what I know. Even if it's not good for me, at least it's what I know. And that's how we reproduce those relationships continuously. And in, in fact, every time you'll have someone and people come to me saying, yes, but I want love. I want someone who can show up for me. I want someone, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm making the effort to try and look for this on Tinder or do this elsewhere. And I say, yes, you can consciously move in that direction. But if your subconscious mind has not got the healing that it needs, that's what's going to make your decisions. That's what's going to attract your partners. Whoa. And, you know, we were talking before about why I wanted you to come on. And I was thinking, answers like that, that kind of just, you you can actually see the person listening, rolling back in their head going, that links to that, that, that. You know, you take us on a journey <laughs> just by this. You have this amazing way of explaining it. I love, you answered in another interview about how people always assume trauma means rape, assault, mm -hmm. big things like that. But the actual things that are, the smaller things it's like how we and it's not so much always what happened it's how our perception of it you know it yes. might have been the it's a throwaway event where they're looking after your brother or sister but you take it as a mm -hmm. sign that they are abandoning you or picking you over them uh, and that well, kind of you really were listening to that interview because i used that exact <laughs> example where i said someone you know and and just for people listening is it's as simple as if a mother's holding a baby, coddling them close to their chest, this baby feels like my entire world is right here. My needs are met. I'm loved. I'm valued. But then you have another, you know, sibling who's taking the piss out of the parents and doing something else and maybe like burning their toys or like the TV like I did. And so suddenly this mom is like, what's going on here? Puts this baby down, runs to them. Then the, that's enough for this baby to feel like, oh, my God, my mom's prioritizing this other sibling or this other person more than me. And, you know, we all know in our own lives that our, each individual child with exactly the same parents can have different wounds because they all have a different story of how they were raised. And what matters there is like how the parent comes back to validate and show up for each child. So I'm sorry, I didn't mean to jump in there, but I just love no, that you actually were listening to the whole, <laughs> you know, the whole interview. Because that's something I did notice was like, you can tell a guy how to dress better. You can tell a guy how to apply for jobs better. You can tell a guy they need a haircut. I obviously wasn't listening. You know, you can do all these amazing things, but if we're not dealing with the things that are causing us or holding us back or pushing you in a certain way, we're never going to truly escape out of this kind of control box. And how would you start working with somebody to make them understand that you're not you? You're you that you're the version of you that's been shaped by your childhood, mm. your current things, your reaction to events, etc. Because of this programming that you have, how do you make them realize that we can change this flow so you then go and become this version of you that you want to be or the new version? How do right. you 
make people realize they can change because a lot of people think this is just who I am. This is my personality. Mm-hmm. Not realizing it's all the drama, bullying, like perceived issues from your past that you've made into your personality. All right. But that programming is flexible enough to be changed. That's a that's a good um, good question. Do you mind if I explain it with a personal example of something? No, I'd love through? to. That'd be great. So you open up the question saying, you know, I want to, I'd love to show my best self by getting the haircut, like, you know, putting on the good clothes, making the money, you know, all of these things that we think externally can validate us enough that they can mask or camouflage our internal wounds, which we all go through because this is at the end of the day, human beings also are very strong survival species, but surviving is not the same as thriving and surviving comes with its own set of problems. So For me, I was exactly like what you talked about. And in my late teens and my early 20s, to make up for like the the difficulties I had growing up, I wanted to be this guy who was super popular. I wanted to be very good looking, popular with women primarily because that's how I established my self-worth. And I wanted to be someone who everybody admired. So I became a professional soccer player and my body was really fit and I was very disciplined with that. But I was also, quote unquote, the ladies man. And I went around like, you know, sleeping with a lot of women. And the hardest part was I was in a beautiful relationship where I was with someone who supported me and who was present and yet unconsciously, and I say this word very strongly to those listening, unconsciously, I would sabotage this relationship by choosing to sleep with other women. Now, why the word unconscious? And for a lot of you listening, you may be like, no, you made that choice, motherfucker. You know, you chose to go after those women. Like, you know, if you destroyed your relationship serves you right. Remember I said to you, the engine of your mind is your subconscious mind. Now, my forebrain, my my thoughts to myself, like many of you said, I want to have a beautiful relationship. At the same time, I want to be loved and have all my needs met. But all of that wasn't in one place. In my relationship, no matter how much my partner showed up for me, I felt like I wasn't validated enough. And this is because of my deep wounds that I had with my own mother. I was the youngest of five kids. She gave up her own career. So by the time it came to me, there was a lot of projection of frustration that she gave up her life and her career to raise me. So emotionally, it was so much was cut off from me. You know, there was a lot of also, as I talked about abuse and so much that came in. So now fast forward 25 years, and I want to tell you all how this relates. I felt so invalidated as a human being. I didn't have enough value growing up that for me to get that value, I had to seek it from other women who would make me feel important enough that it would mask my childhood wounds. Now, what's the fastest way we can get a sense of connection and validation from someone? Sex. Because literally when your bodies come together, there's so much oxytocin and everything that goes through you, it gives you a temporary sense of like of a highness that like, you know what? I'm amazing. I slept with this person. I feel really good. And so even though I had a relationship, I was sabotaging this and doing this on the side. And I was popular. People thought I was great looking. And at the end of the day, When that partner chose to break up with me and end the relationship, it was the biggest trauma I've ever gone through in my entire life. It rocked me to the bottom because it showed me who I am and where I'm coming from. So when you ask me, how do I give this to my clients or my students or people going through our programs? We give them a strong set of like reflection. So we have this process of ABC. A is awareness. B is breathwork and regulation, which is all about nervous system, you know, um, is about safety in your nervous system, working through that. And C is basically the child, the inner child work and co-regulation, where you finally go to the root of your trauma. 
So when people come up to us and they say, oh, I've been manifesting the same type of partner over and over again, people who keep like abandoning me or don't know how to show up for me, or I can't be emotionally vulnerable. We first bring the awareness to them that this exists, that it's a pattern. It's so funny, Ian, you won't believe that most people would have been going through the same thing for 30 years and don't even recognize it's a pattern because their survival mechanism just takes them through the same thing again and again and again, because that's what they know. So first thing is bringing the awareness to it. Second, once they're aware that this is a pattern, they now want to break it. So then they have to discover where is it that it really comes from. And it's not just coming from the partner who can't show up for you. It's coming from the fact that you believe you don't deserve good enough love. So you attract someone who doesn't know how to show up for you. And then that's the part we work on. Where does that come from? That comes from those inner child wounds, the past experiences, heavy breakups. You know, um, this can also be influenced by even recent divorces and breakups. Anything painful enough can open the subconscious mind so that it can be filled with this information. But in the same way, you can also open up the subconscious mind through healthy meditations, reparenting and inner child meditations that we have. You can open up the subconscious mind through nervous system regulation, creating a sense of true calming and grounding and peace. All of these that therefore can allow the same sense of healing from the same same place that the trauma came from. Now, if you meet the the wound with the solution or with the with the um, with the let's call it the healing tonic right at the wound, then the way you show up in your present life absolutely changes. And that's what happened to me and what I had to go through. That really hit home just now because that's one of my questions um, was about why do relationships bring up, you know, when they break up, why do they bring up such immense, complex emotional feelings? And it's, it's almost like it gives you a kind of insight to who you truly are. Because when I broke yeah. up with my first love, this was like after having a terrible relationship with an absolute arsehole. I know that now. But at the time, it was I was in a small village. It was the only person I knew, et cetera, et cetera. So you sh- that was my idea of love. So suddenly, this girl was smoking and she uh, hot, you know, and she we did everything together. We had laughs, and she seemed to truly love me. And I was like, that's amazing. And then I met somebody else who said, the reason we um, – sorry, I interviewed a coach. She said, the reason why we care about our exes is it's almost like a, like a druggie's high. You like the psychological high. It gives you that feeling of the love that you had, and that's why you can never give over your ex. Then I interviewed a, an attachment specialist, and he was explaining how we've tried to find people who we want to fix. And I was like, whoa, that's amazing. And now you're explaining it, why, how we find the people that we're attracted to because we're not dealing with our issues so we're just replicating, you know, and now all this together, I, I see the, I, I'm beginning to see the bigger picture and all the time right. I'm thinking, I'm just lucky I pulled so-and-so, I went and dated so-and-so, you know, right. we see this, we don't understand how this flows. And I love that you can take us and start explaining this to us. So is that yeah. the kind of behaviors you see as doing it's the promiscuous sex, the drink, the drugs, the the fighting, the you know, like mal misbehavior at work or, you know, how what kind of things do you see when we're not aligned to our true selves or we're not dealing with the issues? Right. That's So, you know, when you talked about um, the attachments, you talked about all of the different challenges that, you know, people were going through and recognizing the, the, the repetition of the cycle, as I like to tell people, Believe it or not, Ian, we are addicted 
to our cyclical patterns because they give us, as I said, this sense of this false sense of safety, knowing that we're doing something in a continuous way. And this helps us cope with the real problem. Now, this word cope, this is a huge, huge, huge word that I like to use because we at the inner yachts, like my coaches and myself, we don't actually use the word addictions as much. And we learned this. I learned this personally from a very, very famous therapist around the world. His name is Dr. Gabor Mate. And he talks a lot about inner child healing, about like trauma, um, you know, that comes about. And here's the thing. At the end of the day, survival is the basic need of the human species. Now, if I have such a big pain that's going on with me, and we think survival is just about physical, and that's, that, that's bullshit because we're more mental almost than physical. In fact, the physical is very much the manifestation of the mental. It's how we experience what's going on in the brain and our body. So let's say I've gone through a bad breakup. You talked about a bad breakup with someone. So that's pain in my brain. This pain in my brain is being felt in my body, in my heart, feel, felt in my gut, in my stomach. It's actually even being felt by how I'm putting on weight because the cortisol and the, and the stress hormones I'm putting on are meant to protect me and, and get me to, like, to feel like, okay, this is a really scary, stressful situation. I'm going to have to deal with this by hibernating, by hunkering down. Now, at the same time, if I've got this really heavy pain, and I don't know how to solve it. I don't have an avenue to solve it. I don't have someone who can help me solve it. But the pain is very large. I need to do fucking something about it. So what am I going to do? I'm going to turn to something that distracts me from it. I'm going to turn to something that helps me suppress it. I'm going to turn to something that helps me numb it. You know, and, and since this is the next level guy show, for example, men very, very strongly because they don't understand how to cope with their own emotional self, they use alcohol as, an, as a method to numb that part of them that no one in their own lives gave them the education on how to understand. Why? Because they themselves had fathers who didn't know how to handle their own emotions or had like a family which didn't give them a safe space for their emotions. So now these men, predominantly men, and it can be men and women, become alcoholics. But there's something really interesting that happens when someone drinks. When someone drinks, their, their social inhibition drops. And so what's true beneath starts to come out. So for a lot of alcoholics, that's rage. That's rage and that's anger because they haven't found a healthy way to talk about it, work through it, and process it. For a lot of men, and I have friends, they start to cry because they haven't had a safe space to feel afraid or to feel sad or to feel soft or even talk about their emotions because they're viewed upon as being weak. And so these mechanisms, whether you call it drugs, like even if it's, it's heroin and, you know, these are really dangerous things we're talking about, they give people who've gone through trauma a temporary sense of relief, a temporary sense of coping that allows them to feel like, holy shit, you know what, this monster of emotions that's undealt within me or the monster of trauma that's undealt within me for even a few seconds I'm distracted from it. Now, the challenge and the problem is that not all coping mechanisms, we call addictions coping mechanisms, which are basically just mechanisms that people learn or like from their environment or they adapt in order to survive with their trauma. You can have really healthy coping mechanisms and healthy coping mechanisms can be the gym, discipline to yourself, uh, talking to someone, meditating, all of those which help you cope with what you've gone through and heal them. Or you can have the unhealthy ones, which is abusing somebody else, taking out what you've gone through on someone who can't push back. So that's bullying, right? 
that's physically or verbally or sexually abusing somebody else. You can take it out in drugs, alcohol. You can even take it out, believe it or not. Like for me, it was sex. Sex was for me what I thought was a safer way to cope with my own trauma because I didn't really get into the drugs as much as like maybe other people would in the same wounds, but I got into sex the same way. Now, here's another funny thing. People pleasing is the same thing. It's just more approved of by society. So someone who has the same traumatic wounds, you see them running around trying to like make sure everybody else's needs are met, trying to make sure that like, you know, they're loving everybody else and they're taken care of so that that also makes them feel safe with the wound that they haven't really worked on. So there's a concept or a term called empaths. I don't use this so much, but it's basically people who believe they're highly empathetic, which it does exist. They have very sensitive nervous systems like myself because they're not dealing with that that own problem. Instead, they go out trying to absorb other people's problems. And so they want to get into relationships, just as your previous coach said, to fix them. Because by fixing somebody else, I'm distracting myself from my problem. So all of these things are actually coping mechanisms. Some of them are just approved of more by a family or society. And so we use them more. For example, sports or the the unhealthy addiction to alcohol and sports is I've noticed is more approved of in North America than it is in Thailand or Vietnam, for example. Religion is another coping mechanism that's more approved of, um, even the addiction to religion in places like India or Indonesia, et cetera, than it is in the US. So we have to discover if I'm using these coping mechanisms to the point where it's not helping my life, my relationships, my family, or my connection, then more importantly than just saying, I need to stop drinking, I need to stop abusing people, I need to stop having sex, we need to figure out what the fuck is making me do it like this. And if I can figure that out, then I don't even need to have the coping mechanism because there's nothing to cope with. Because, you know, it's amazing when you when you realize what's going on or you start trying to tackle it. Like, I mean, I'm mm-hmm. 40 now and I only feel like I'm beginning to become a bit more like who I was as a kid before right. I was bullied, before I went off. Because we, I went off to boarding school as well, and I was such ah. a home, home bird. And I was, right. I, I feel like I never really got over the kind of the trauma of all that. And in my head, people are like, don't be so silly. You only went there for a mm-hmm. couple of years, you know. But in my head, this was like uh, the worst time of my life. And I think I've always acted in a certain way. I still go home probably far more than I probably need to now to see my family. Right. And it's only the nice. place I feel truly at home is with them. And I wow. did the same sort of thing of, you know, I would go and sleep around or well, try to, you know, I would go and do stuff because it was what was expected of me or what other people were doing to fit in, like go to the pub. And I would hate it thinking, what the hell am I doing sitting here every right. weekend? But I would buy tickets for a festival, looking forward to it because in my head, it's going to be amazing. Right. Never enjoyed them while I was there. All these stupid mm-hmm. things. And now I, I've, I know there'll be so many people sitting there going, okay, I do that, I do that. Oh, shit. And, you know, you're kind of opening them up with these right. kind of prompts. Is that? Do you find people would rather blame other people, though? You know, that oh, that's mm-hmm. just my mother's fault. That's my girlfriend's right. fault because she, she knows the buttons to press. Why, why do we live in this level of pain before we get? Because, you know, we always get people who change when it's really bad that tipping point Mm, where they have to change. Why would we rather live in pain, self-sabotage, kick off, break up relationships? Why do you think people would do that? Blame others rather than just stop and go, I'm going to, I'm going to look at what's causing this. 
why why do we enjoy pain? We almost look for it in a way. Because at the end of the day, all of these things that you just talked about, they ensure that we don't have to change, right? And I told you the brain hates change. In fact, it burns more calories for the brain to learn something new than for you to do what you knew old, like, you know, what you've been doing for so long to do it like for how many ever more years. And so because that's our principle, we also lock into this identity. Earlier you asked, like, why do some people say this is me and that's who I am? You know, because that's what they've understood for so long and it's easiest not to change. It's why a lot of us play the victim where we're like, oh, somebody else did this to me. You know, they hurt me. Even in the story I'm telling, talking about, you know, the inner child work, it's not my mother's fault that I ended up however I did with my wounds. She did what she did with what she had. And she could just function out of who she was. Now, in the acceptance for me that she did her best, I can recognize, okay, so what do I do now? Because if I'm not going to do that, I'm going to continuously blame her for not going the whole way, not giving me everything. And I'll say, it's your fault. I'm fucked up. But then at the same time, I'm not having the life that I want either. So if I want to have the life that I want, I have to accept how it is I'm showing up. That's the part most of us don't want. Because if I accept what's going on in my life, then what do you think I have next? The challenge of do I want to change it or not, right? And if I don't change it, then I live with that shame. And if I do change it, it's going to be so hard. I'm going to lose the friends I had because most of them loved the way I existed. You talked about going to the pub, you know, like every Saturday, even though you didn't like it. I'm sure in some sense, there were a whole bunch of people. Maybe they were similar, going through similar wounds, or they just identified as being there. There was some sense of familiarity being there. Now, if you wanted to evolve and change and you said, you know, I'm going to take a break from drinking. I'm going to work on something else. Suddenly you find yourself alone. And that loneliness can be scary. Getting out of a relationship that really causes you trauma, you face the fear of being alone. You know, moving past a group of bullies that you, uh, you know, were a part of because you can maybe, you know, project your own wounds onto somebody else, bully someone else and feel more superior. Leaving that group at the start, again, you feel alone. And those things are very fearful for us as human beings. So what's easier is for us to blame somebody else. What's easier is for us to take out our own problems onto someone else, make it look like they're the ones who are really messed up so that I don't have to change. That's the baseline. But here's something, and that's why, you know, Ian, if you look at the, the top echelon of society, and I'm not even talking about financially, I'm talking about the people with really successful relationships in today's world, I'm talking about the people who are really happy with themselves, the people who are also doing well financially. Why is it such a minority? Why isn't it not everybody, right? It's because these are the small groups of people who are willing to say that this change is fucking uncomfortable, but I'm willing to do it. And they push themselves, they challenge themselves, they give them safety to it. Maybe they ask for help doing it. They stay committed to that process because once they get over that hill, then their lives seem so much more defined, so much more understood, so much more healthy, so much more peaceful. And, and I know this because I, I went through literally what I call seven years of hell to basically get through to where I am. It's time for a quick break. There are millions of potential products to buy, so how do you know which ones are worth your hard-earned money? Simple. You go to nextlevelguy.com slash affiliates and explore those that will transform and improve your life. You'll find deals, listener exclusives, and special offers with some great companies. Recommendations are 100% honest, 
and only on items Ian has tried or believes in. The companies showcased will make you a better man in all areas of your life. Simply go to nextlevelguy.com slash affiliates and level up. Because all along the answer, I was thinking that, like, I know a lot of hosts go, oh, yeah, yeah, that happened to me, but that really happened to me. I When I stopped going to the pub, I was in a small fishing village, and basically you become lonely. You know, you're on yeah. your own because you're not numbing the pain with drink. You're not just doing the yes. energy. You want to chat deeply. You want to look at the real problems. Yes. And a lot of times to fix it, you have to do your own journey and step away from it. And it's amazing. And I probably am now only f- beginning to f- become the real me. And I realize I don't really have many friends, mm. like true friends, people who would actually right. would go out their way, who check in on you and stuff. You have acquaintances. And I think that's mm-hmm. what people are scared of. It's we'd rather have yes. the likes. It's the dopamine chase, isn't it? Oh, 100%. So, so when you're working with somebody, and they start, how do you encourage them to start shining the light themselves? Not so much, or do you lead them in the first case to kind of take that first step? And how do we make sure we don't wallow in the pain, that we don't mm-hmm. live the pain, you know, we don't make it a new identity? How do we start dealing with that so we can actually rise above it and deal with it rather than just go, oh my God, I remember this now and I remember that and I'm going to go and fuck up so-and-so for doing that and I'm going to do this. Right. How do we actually think, okay, that's an area I want to tackle, but how do I work with you not to wallow right. in it, rise above it and not deal with the automatic programming and actually starts taking apart the the mechanics of it? Right. So to get anybody to change, to get anybody to try something different and to do healing, you have to make it safe enough for them to want to do it. And when I mean safe, safety means different things to all of us. You know, safety can mean an emotional safety to some. It can mean a physical safety. It can mean like, you know, just having a place where no one judges me. And you hit on a, on a huge point where you talked about the loneliness that comes from evolution. And we may call it loneliness, but it's really the filtering out of your life, the things that no longer support you. I started losing a lot of friends after I went through this inner work. And in fact, I, just like you said, you go through this place that we call the hermit phase of when you're going through your healing, where you're no longer aligning or associating with the old things that you're used to. And it can feel weird for you as well, because you're like, I had so many friends, now I don't have any. And here's where a key word called the ego comes in. And the ego is not what we think of it as like, you know, this cocky person or this confident, overconfident. That's one element of how the ego shows up. The ego is basically the thing that encourages your old programming, that encourages your survival mechanism. Think of it as a bodyguard who was there for you when you first learned your survival mechanisms that never wants to leave. So now you have the same programs, the same mechanisms. And when you're trying to leave this, the bodyguard's like, whoa, 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 whoa. No, you know, I think you might still find danger here. I think there's something going to be scary again. So you're like, oh shit, yeah, you know what? You're right. Let me just go back to what was familiar. So to be able to get the change, you have to kind of silence the ego. You have to disarm the bodyguard. That's what I call it. Disarming the ego or silencing the ego. So how do you do that? For different people, it's different things. But you hit on one huge component, which is that isolation, that loneliness. So what we do 
is we take people who are going through their problems and most of us, and this is the crazy part of my work, you can always track down the problems to three major causes, rejection, abandonment, and invalidation. So we get everybody who you know wants to do our work in different batches and we put them in a group together. We call this a container. In our program called The Gauntlet, we do this where we put them in a container where for eight weeks, these are the fixed people that you're going to journey with in this healing process. Nobody goes in, nobody goes out. And in the same process during that period of time, we get them to work with each other three times a week, apart from working with us, where in the psychological prompts we give them, they get to reflect on each other's lives. They reflect on what they're going through. They reflect on how this is affecting them. Now, what this does that they don't realize is this makes them feel a sense of belonging while they're doing the hard work, which is why with one-on-one, sometimes it's so challenging because you're doing this, you take this work from your therapist, you go to try and apply into your life and suddenly there's so much bloody judgment from your mom. They're like, you don't come back and see me anymore. You don't call me on the holidays or you don't know how to really raise your kid or you don't listen to me and what I'm saying. Whereas when you're in a group and you share these things, someone else is like, yeah, you know, I'm going through this. I'm like, wow, you're also going through this? So that means I'm not alone. I'm not a weirdo for like wanting to stop drinking and go to the pub. Someone else is like, no, me too. So they're like, okay, let's create a healthier habit. How about we create like meetings on a Thursday night where we get to talk about what we're doing? Maybe we have a painting class on a Saturday for us men, even though, you know, we're not encouraged to be playful or musical or artsy. We now have Mm -hmm. this space where we can get this like, you know, um, more feminine side out of us that allows us to feel more emotionally grounded and regulated. You create the safety in the process and naturally it'll disarm that ego that's preventing people from changing. And when you do that, people are more excited to want to do this. And in fact, when this ends, they unconsciously now know, you know what? I've had a space where I've had people who accept me and love me while I'm going through this journey. That is the kind of space that I need to keep attracting now in my life and no longer the old space. So they start looking for partners who now are more accepting and open and understand them more. They start changing their conversation with their parents. They stop taking part in like the old, you know, unconscious type of conversations where they're fighting back and forth and their whole life starts to evolve. Damn, I can understand how you're you're such a good coach. (laughs) You just have this way of it. It it sinks in. You absorb it and understand it. I mean, is it too simplistic to think then that all negative emotions, if you know, if, if you want to call them negative, like mm-hmm. jealousy. I mean, I have chronic jealousy about mm-hmm. really bizarrely I, people being successful in an area that I wanted to do, and you know, if they overtake me and suddenly be like a girl that I fancied started doing jujitsu on Instagram, never met her in my life, and suddenly now she's really good, uh, won some tournaments and stuff, and I'm of course I'm judging the fact that I can't even go to my jujitsu class with oh well that means she's better than me i'm not a failure i also then find i self-sabotage i want to go to the morning classes but my the training partner that i went to jiu-jitsu with for example is no longer there i don't know anybody there so i'm now seeing i self-sabotage by not going even though i was good at it and i enjoyed it because i'm now thinking the abandonment he's left abandonment i don't i you know invalidation i don't know anybody there so, like, just for those two emotions, for me, exactly, like, I'm now thinking, where does that link behind me? Like, this right. is why I'm really keen to have you on because I know a lot of shit I'm dealing with, but I know I want to change it. How do mm-hmm. I link that two emotions 
to right. like reparenting and inner from. child work, you know, because I think that it helps to kind of pick really deep stuff, like examples, and a lot of podcasts talk around it. I would rather throw some stuff that might embarrass me and the mates, but I want to fix these things. I don't want to be doing these for 10, 20, 30 years and think what is living on a life, you know, a deathbed of regret. I'd rather fix right. this now. Is it too simplistic to think our negative emotions all stem from inner child work? Uh, no. And <clears throat> when I say, so two things here, when we talk about, inner child work, you know, even the, even a version of you from last week, would you agree by like a linear timeline is younger than who you are today? Yeah. So would you by just like the natural experience of life, believe that who you are today has lived longer than that version. So therefore is probably more experienced than that version. Yeah. Do you also believe that the version of who you are today, therefore, can provide some insight and therefore some value to that version of who you were as you were younger? I do find sometimes I look back and I can kind of get judge and understand why I did certain things. Yes, beautiful. So the, the principle behind this is to say that the inner child doesn't only have to be the youngest versions of us. Yes, those are the ones who are the most important for us to influence because the subconscious mind still rests with them in that five to eight in that zero to five, five to 18 age. But everything we are today is a projection of that inner child. Why? Because the engine of the subconscious still drives us. So once I answer your question, it is not too simplistic to think that it all comes from there. That's one. But the second thing I'd like to do is you talked very powerfully about like how you want someone to go deep or you'd like to go deeper into these conversations rather than just dance around them. Do you mind if I take you through the journey that you just explained. And I think that could give people a lot of insight into how they may be able to apply it to their own selves, the kind of questions they can ask, the kind of way they can lead backwards. Are you no, open to doing that'd that? Be that'd be fantastic, yeah. Awesome. I love to air dirty laundry, by the way. So, <laughs> you know, if it's yours, it's mine. It's somebody's, somebody's going to enjoy it out there. <laughs> well, okay. there's, pl there's plenty to wash. <laughs> <laughs> I love it for both of us. So let's talk about this jujitsu example. You used two examples there and you use them as a projection of the word jealousy, right? Hmm. Now, what, what does jealousy feel like to you? Before you use an example, what does it just feel like to you? It's just that for me, I always put it down to, I've had OCD, so I put it down to intrusive thoughts. It's like an automatic program that I can be having mm -hmm. a conversation with you and it's just, your inner voice nitpicking at you again and again mm -hmm. it's like a weight on your chest it's the right feeling what of is that inner voice sorry what is that inner voice saying to you while you're feeling those things which are re very real in your body in like i mean i know how lunacy it is that like i've got a lovely flat i've got a lovely job but in my head i'm going oh, you know what's the point of trying this don't be silly you can't do that you can't get back there it's like that nagging mother. It's like that nagging right. teacher. It's the things okay. we all we all give a name to it, but we never associate right. it. And I think it's that thing. I know from CBT, etc., that it's not you. It's your mm -hmm. brain throwing out prompts. But while I'm right. in that, it's automatic. Of I course. sometimes catch myself above it. Other times, right. I will sit there and. I'll be shite at work because that's mm -hmm. brow beating me or I can't concentrate right. on what I'm doing. 
I can right. be in a bus and feel horrible. I can go from having a brilliant day to oh, suddenly 100%. thinking about it. Terrible. Right. So coming back to this, right? You said that it's that nagging voice that says you can't do something, you can't do what they're doing. And you identify it as jealousy, which means, would you agree that it only comes about when you notice someone else or something else doing what you may want to do or having what you may want to have? Yeah, because I did have a, a kind of bit of a mental blowout when I broke out with my ex and I mm-hmm. she, I heard she was dating plenty of other, somebody said mm-hmm. she's plenty of other people's exes. And I think that was also that I wanted to be the guy going out and dating heaps of people. And I wasn't right. very experienced at the time. So both mm-hmm. of those are probably good examples right. of how jealousy of other people's jealousy comes up. Right. right. So this is good. So it's first let's let's narrow down into what this really looks like for you. And you talked about where it hits you, which is perfect. We talked about that it's jealousy, so we're getting closer. Now we're saying that it it's triggered by when you notice somebody else. Somebody else, you talked about somebody else hitting a certain success or having a certain thing that you may want, right? Mm-hmm. Would you agree to that? So yeah. if it was with uh, the jiu-jitsu as well, you talked about, I'm not sure if you said it was a colleague, but a girl who you know progressed and advanced so much in this stage, correct? Yeah, I mean, she had married somebody that was a, a coach. She had the guy ah. had designed a program around her because he didn't have a girl's. All these silly things. Right. I've never even met this person, and I'm judging right. my own self worth against. In right. a sport, so, that means it's your own personal journey. <laughs> Correct. So, it you can say now that as you just de- defined for yourself, it's actually not even about the jujitsu. It's not even about sleeping with the multiple partners. It's about having something that comes with that. What do you think you would achieve or you would have if at that time, for example, you had slept with the multiple partners and everybody thought that you were like the cat's pajamas or you were like the person, the ladies' man? What do you think you would have felt? To be honest, I probably would have ended up blowing up the relationships because I was not physically, mentally ready, Don't- emotionally ready. Right. I would have felt Don't, great. Let's not go there yet. I want to think of what are some of the positive things oh, you would have you would have felt by being that. Probably the confidence of doing it, and mm. probably okay. the. I don't know, maybe going along the journey, so I would have felt a bit more kind of evolved, a bit more kind of mm-hmm. knowing who I was, um, and that kind of. Looking back, I could use that as a stepping stone for the next. Okay. Thing Don't I want think to about the, the next stages. I was thinking about if you were that person today, how would you view yourself or what are some of the pluses you would get? So maybe I can guide you a little more. You said the confidence, right? If you were considered someone who slept with multiple people, you'd feel confident enough to approach um, different people and like, you know, to... Uh, court them and whatever and and you know have some sort of partnerships with them yes that requires a certain amount of confidence right mm-hmm. does that require a certain number of like a certain amount of extrovertedness also to be able to go out of your shell to do something correct would Therefore. you say would you say by doing that you would also gain a certain kind of approval maybe from your peers at that point. We're talking about you at that age. We're not talking about the evolved you. We're talking about you at that age because that's the example you brought up. 
would you talk about at that age, if you were that ladies man who had slept with those multiple people, you'd get a certain kind of approval from your peers, from your friends, from everybody else? Yes. You see how naturally this answer came to you? You I barely even needed to finish it. And you were like, oh yeah, I can see that. Correct? That's how you were judged at that age, yeah. Right. Beautiful. So let's take this example and let's put this one aside for a second. Now let's use the jujitsu example. And I don't want you to think about it from an evolved man or an evolved being perspective. I just want you to think about it from a small boy who wants to achieve these things. So let's say you were the young Ian, you're a small boy, you're a young you know, version of you that you know of that wanted to achieve this jujitsu um, you know, uh, validation of having these belts or achievements, what do you think he would have felt if you had gotten all the way with that? Well, I've always given up on things. So I think that mm-hmm. would have been like a kind of, I can do it. It would have been actually an achievement to actually do something rather than pull out of it. Uh-huh. And okay. I think when I was younger, I can remember like a bunch of people in primary school all got selected for this football tournament. And I can remember coming home and my mom telling me they're all being asked in your class, except for you to play in this mm. tournament. And I can remember that being soul destroying, just crying for How days. That, and feeling let's it. go there. How did that make you feel when you heard oh, end of the world? Like it was like somebody was just saying that you're not good enough. And I, th- I uh, thought of that event right now while you were talking about yeah, like what and mm-hmm. that and, I now can see it and it brings right. it up. And I'm like, what, how do I deal? But okay. So like, see, just now I'm trying to avoid it. I can feel myself going to ask questions, talk about right. it. Exactly. Or there's another thing that you do that you may not realize is that you explain around it instead of sitting with it. That's mm. why I keep interjecting you, which I don't mean to do, but this is what is my job to do is to get you closer to what you're avoiding seeing. Correct. So yeah. now, Let's go back to this jujutsu. And if you completed this jujutsu, that little boy would have been like, yes, I'm finally worth it so I could finish something. People are going to celebrate me because I finished this. People are going to notice me because now I'm the jujutsu champion. Every time I complete a level, you know, I've completed more of an achievement. I'm more, more validated. I'm more worthy. I'm more valuable. Would you agree? Yeah. It's almost like you're doing it for other people <laughs> rather than yourself. Right. Because when you're sleeping with everybody, you're also sleeping with everybody for other people more than you're doing it for yourself. So now we've got two similarities here, which I'm sure you can see in many different places in your life where there is a need for Ian. The key thing here is there is a need for Ian, little Ian, younger Ian, and even the present Ian to be loved, to be validated, and to be approved of. Now, For Ian, based on the environment he was in growing up, he started to look at what are the ways I can get the most approval? And if you were part of the football team, everybody would have noticed you. You would have felt a sense of belonging. Your parents would have been proud of you. Your coaches would have been like proud of you. You would have felt like, yes, I made it to like something that's, you know, a higher level than what everybody else plays football of. So you would have felt validated. Making it to the, to, you know, if you were the guy who was like popular amongst the women, you would have felt all your peers noticing it. You would have felt an internal sense of confidence. You would have been like, yes, I'm valuable. I'm valuable and validated. With the jujutsu, if you completed this, like with any other of your projects or other things that you finished, you would have finished it, which means at the end, you would have had this feeling of, 
I am finally valuable and worthy enough to finish a project, to have this thing, to finish this marathon and be at the end, not say it like halfway through, I, I, I couldn't do it. So then the more important question comes in. Why don't I have all these things? Why don't I finish a marathon yet? Why don't I finish my jujitsu? Why wasn't I the guy who slept with all those girls? Why wasn't I on the football team? And any person outside of this deep world we're talking about could say, oh, it's because you weren't good enough for the football team. Oh, it's because the jujitsu is unavailable. You didn't have a partner at this time. We didn't have a coach. There will always be reasons and excuses to validate us not being good enough to have what we want. That's the real piece there. That deep, deep, deep down in our subconscious mind, we feel like we're not good enough to have what we really want and desire. So we start the project, we go a few like you know steps down, but in the middle, we're so powerful as human beings that we'll manifest all of the distractions, all of the sabotaging elements, all of the things that say we shouldn't do it, just so that we can listen to it and prove to ourselves, oh yeah, you know, that's why I didn't do this thing. That's why I didn't finish this. That's why I didn't get on the football team. Whereas deep down inside, it's because we believed we were not worthy enough to overcome any of those things. But we were not worthy enough and that's why we gave into those and stopped having it. So now I want to ask you, before I move forward, I want to ask you one question. Does this resonate with you? 100%. I'm thinking just now of all the excuses I've given myself like, mm-hmm. I can't go because I'm going on holiday in a week. I can't go because right. I'm going. Right. And I was just like you, Ian. I was just like you. So then I recognized and I asked myself, okay, Yats, if I want to change this, what do I have to do? The first thing, which is the most important thing that I want to tell you, Ian, and this goes against that toxic masculinity kind of method that, you know, is talked about a lot. The first thing you need to give yourself is compassion. Because you need to look back at old Ian. You need to look back at the Ian who, when it came to the Jujutsu thing, which may have been a few days ago, last week, whenever. You need to look back at Ian who was in his 20s and, and wanted to be popular and lovable but couldn't. You need to look back at Ian who didn't make the football team. And you need to give that little bugger compassion. You need to love him and let him know that it's okay if those excuses came up at that time because he was burdened by the wounds and the weight of his story and by the wound of his self-worth. So obviously he couldn't complete it. Whereas today, what we do a lot of the time is we give ourselves the opposite. We shame ourselves and be like, I should have finished that. I should have gone to this. I didn't do this thing. And that gives us more arsenal to not do it in the future. So for me, when I had to change, you know how hard it is to be able to forgive yourself for sleeping with 35 different women while you're in a relationship with someone, it's not an easy task. In fact, no one around you, no one around you will give you a reason to forgive yourself. No one, not your friends, no one who knows about it will look at you with compassion. So what do you do? Do you just like brandish yourself a serial cheater, which a lot of people do, and then they just give themselves the excuse to continue a mediocre life for the rest of their life? No. At that point, you say, if I want to change, I have to do the one thing I've never done to myself. I have to really see myself for who I am. So I had to see the guy who cheated on that partner so many times. And I had to recognize you just did what you did with everything you had at the time. You were so burdened by your own wounds. You were so held down by your need of validation for your need to get other people's recognition. Why? Because inside of you, there was a huge hole where there was no love or value or or worth or protection or safety or just compassion. 
So you overcompensated with everything you did. And so when you see your version as that, what is the thing that you do? If you, Ian, saw younger Ian standing in front of you, right? Let's take Ian from last week. And would you say Ian of last week was the one who was working through the, the jujitsu um, episode or was it earlier? Maybe a couple of weeks before that. You know, it probably, okay. it probably stemmed around then. Okay. Um, so let's can... take Ian. Sorry. Um, you were saying? Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, I can see how, like, I'm, I'd am i be the joker to fit in to appease people. But then I can also see all these self-sabotages in other areas for other right. examples I could have used. And, and now I see how these, to me, what sound silly incidents or small parts of my life mm. are actually all stemming, like you said, from these three yes. areas. They're it's... all connected, man, to those three wounds. So I want you to do something with me right now, mm -hmm. okay? I want you to see Ian of three weeks ago who was combating this jujitsu issue. You see him, he's wearing his jujitsu costume, whatever else. He's younger than who you are today. But on his shoulders... I want you to consciously see a huge boulder, a huge boulder of invalidation, of unhealed wounds, and of a lack of self-acceptance and love. I want you to see a huge weight on his shoulders. Now, this weight is crushing this Ian. But this Ian thinks that to cope with everything, he has to go back to do jujitsu. He has to go find something else to get his value. He has to start another project, which maybe he'll stop. But if you see him just the way he is right now, knowing what you know today, knowing if you have a chance to help him, what would you go up to him and do? And what would you go up to him and say right now? That I don't know. I've always been seriously hard on myself. Like, I mean, I would say, oh, push the weight off. But right. I know there needs... I've tried to kind of address these issues and I've never managed mm. to find that language that opens it up or deals with it in a way is there right. kind of so how would you fight how would you find the ability to be compassionate to yourself so this is exactly the the disconnection between the forebrain and the hindbrain or the disconnection between the what we call the conscious mind which is what we're using right now and the subconscious mind where the healing is and it's not your fault because again none of us have it because we haven't been educated in this kind of work growing up through school which we should have been in fact, yeah. we have the opposite. Our entire lives encourage us to use more and more of that coping mechanism rather than to go through more and more of that healing. So I'm going to help you with this language, okay? Because I'm, it's unfair for me to expect you to have an answer in the language you'd use. But to do that, I need you to shut off your forebrain so you can live more in your hindbrain. This means I need you to close your eyes right now. You willing to do this with me, Ian? I think yeah, this will help a lot of people, Okay. So I want you to close your eyes. Mm -hmm. I want you to plant your feet on the ground. Okay? I want you to sit back and relax. And I want you to just breathe with me. We're going to breathe in through our nose for about four or five seconds. And we're going to breathe out through our mouths for about six to seven seconds. So I want you to breathe in with me. Two, three, four and breathe out three four five six breathe in through the nose nice beautiful big breath and breathe out through the mouth breathe in 
I know we're on a podcast, but I want you to let go and breathe out. Trust that this moment is for you and you attracted it right now. Breathe in. And breathe out. Allow your shoulders to relax, your chest to relax a little more. Breathe in. Nice, beautiful, big breath. And breathe out. Nice and easy, relaxing your belly, your back, your shoulders. Breathe in. And breathe out. With your eyes closed, continue breathing at your own pace. But just follow the sound of my voice. You and I are standing together, man to man with each other, in a moment where we want to hold each other accountable to be our highest self. I stand in front of you and I see a man who deserves peace, a man who deserves so much acknowledgement, a man who deserves so much of his own self-love, understanding, and something called compassion, which is just a warm hug, which is just an embrace, which is just being listened to, which is just being heard, and more than anything, which is just being understood. So in front of us right now, we see a younger Ian from three weeks ago, wearing his jujitsu costume, but who looks bruised, he looks wounded and hurt. He looks like he has cuts on his face, whose clothes are dirty and torn and tattered. He looks tired. And on his shoulder is a huge weight that's bruising him and cutting him and hurting him. So as we walk towards him, as if you would to any other human being who is feeling so tired and hurt and cut and bruised, what would you do to this Ian standing in front of you? At first, maybe it's as simple as just giving him a cup of water because he's tired and he's still carrying this weight and he's thirsty. And then maybe slowly you and I together just slowly carry that weight that's big and heavy. It's so heavy and we just slide it and push it off his back. And as it falls on the ground, he starts to cry. He starts to cry because he's been in so much pain and he's been so tired and no one's ever come along to help him and understand him and to listen to what he's going through. And this poor boy is crying there, bruised, tattered and hurt, his back hurting. We slowly take him to sit down on the pavement and we sit beside him. 
And as he's sitting there, all he wants is just to feel less tired, less fatigued, less wounded. So you put an arm around him. As you put an arm around him, you allow him to rest against your body just so he doesn't have to feel so tired. Maybe you allow him to rest his head on your shoulders. And maybe with your hand, you just soothe his back to slowly soothe his nervous system and soothe his organs. As you're holding him close, I invite you to whisper these words to him as you say, it's okay. It's okay, buddy. You have carried this weight for so long, but you don't need to anymore. I see you and how you've tried to push and to be someone just so you could be seen, just so you could be heard, just so you could be understood. But now I see you. I know I haven't spent the time to come back and to see you, to understand you, to recognize you. But now I'm doing this. I promise you I will come back again to see you. And as I see you, I want you to know one thing before I leave. That you are enough just as you are. You don't need to carry a heavy burden or to achieve anything to be important or valuable. You're such a good guy, Ian. You're so funny and sweet and kind. And if you just acknowledged who you really are, we would live such an easy life where everything would come to us and what's not meant for us would leave. It's my time to leave you but before I leave you, I want you to know that I understand. I understand who you are and everything you had to be in order to be where you are now. But I also want to tell you, you no longer have to be that person. I see you. I understand you, and if not anyone in the world, I love you. I want you to give this younger Ian a huge hug. Let him feel like the weight of his body and his energy can rest in your arms and in your soul. Run your arms along his back. Wipe his tears along his muddy face. As you do that, you already see his energy coming back bit by bit. His back starting to straighten up, his body starting to strengthen. In these few minutes, you have given him something that he has always wanted but never received. Know the pride, the honor, and the responsibility in that. Now you slowly start to let go 
of this inn. And both of us are now walking away bit by bit. And he calls out to you. He's like, Ian. And you turn back. And he says to you, when I'm scared, when I'm wounded, when I'm afraid, will you come back again? Just those words make you feel the power and the pain both in your heart of how all this guy has been wanting is just your time, your energy, your love, and just to be seen. You wave out to him and you say, I promise. And we both slowly turn around and continue walking as everything fades into the dark. I'm going to count backwards from three to one as I slowly bring you back into this present moment. That was pretty amazing. You, How do you feel right now? A lot, a lot lighter. It's mm-hmm. halfway through it. I could feel my brain going, make a joke, make a joke, think of something, think of something. Don't do it. Don't, don't. I could feel and it. I could, and I, I could actually feel myself welling up a bit because I was thinking I could visualize, oh, where was it? I could visualize the football one and I could remember that mm-hmm. and I could, Beautiful. and it's that moment of being vulnerable. It's kind of like, oh, is everybody looking? And then suddenly you just go, close yeah. your eyes and switch off. Yeah. And I think it's, I've tried similar in the past, but that one hit, that one hit deep. Like okay. it's, I can, I can, um, like just now I'm already going sign up, see if he's, see if he's taking people on. <laughs> I, it's, you know, the beauty is you have the recording now and I really do encourage you to listen back to this whenever mm-hmm. you need it. And you, you know, I want to ask you one challenging question, Ian. You said, I don't know what compassion like is or what it feels like. Having gone through that and knowing now that compassion can look like just a hug. What does compassion look like to you having gone through this? Just being sort of accepting of what you've done, your past self. Yeah. You know, just because we've all, I used to always say to people like, they would write to me and say, I did, I beat somebody up, I did this, I did that. And I'd be like, you know, I interviewed a guy who said, your prisoners are treated as numbers. They're just expected to go back in. But do right. somebody doing a CV for them changed their life. Somebody cared. Somebody showed compassion mm-hmm. to them. Too. Right. And I think that's it. Is you don't do it to yourself. You'll do it to everybody to help other people. For, yeah. for me, it's actually yeah. accepting everything that's gone before to what I can yeah. do now. And sometimes that acceptance is just about being seen. You know, being heard. It doesn't even need to be forgiven. It doesn't even need to be like, you know, erased from the past. It just needs to be seen and heard and understood. And when you understand why you've done what you did, then you can show up for yourself and say, okay, now what can we do together to change it? Hmm. And I'm not going to lie to you, man. Like now I've, I'm blessed to be in this position where I've created a successful business, work with so many people around the world, and I have a beautiful relationship and I'm to be married at the end of the year. 
But all of this came from one very strong place, being able to see myself, why I was doing what I was doing, why I was sabotaging my own life, my relationships and everything else going in there. And to just give myself the same love, acceptance, compassion that I've been wanting so badly from my own parents, from my own childhood, maybe my friends, and from my community when I was younger. And when I give those things to myself, it's like everything else starts flowing from within me outside. All the answers of what I need to do, the commitment of what I need to take to get to the next level. It's no longer a project or a practice. It now simply becomes a projection of how I feel inside. There is one ultimate truth as human beings that our life will always be a life outside, will always be a projection of how we feel inside. And even when it comes to people pleasing and our desire to please people, we please them at the cost of abandoning ourselves because we don't feel like we're valuable inside. So we project that as people pleasing outside. And a lack of commitment for us or self-sabotage comes from the lack of our own belief that I'm worthy or valuable enough. And so we project it as unfinished projects. But if we can learn to complete that, if we can learn to go back to those old difficult memories or those wounds and be the parent who instead says, you know, you didn't get into this, like this, this school uh, project or this football team. Instead, that's there to pick up a boy when he is in his moments of failures or, or difficulty or challenges and swing him around and celebrate. And this boy's like, why the fuck are you celebrating when I didn't like win anything? Because you are worth celebrating just as you fucking exist. Mm-hmm. And I want to show you that. And not show you that only when you succeed will you be celebrated. Only when you fail will you be reprimanded. That changes a child's life completely. That changes an adult's life completely. I definitely feel lighter. Like it's kind of opened up that well. It's it started mm-hmm. to kind of bring it. So how often would you do that? Is that like a nightly thing? Is that a weekly thing? And then do you journal off it? Because I'm already just now my head's throwing out prompts, right. and questions, thinking, and thoughts. Right? Yeah, how what what do I start doing with this as it comes up? And right. should is it a way to recover from it, or is that part of the thing that you have to finally feel it to actually there, deal with it? There is something important called brain and heart coherence that happens in the human experience, where even if you try and visualize something, if you're not feeling it, it will be an incomplete experience which is why a lot of us want to be rich, but we don't believe we can be rich. And so therefore we're not rich, we'll sabotage. So when you go through this process, you just you just tasted this for probably one of the first few times in this intensity or level of doing it. You have to start slow and commit to being able to do it continuous, continuously. So discipline, I tell people, is the strongest version of self-love. The commitment to what you know may be challenging for you, but what you really need for you to go to the next level. For some people, it may be waking up. For some people, it may be to practice inner child meditations. But for you, in like you know, p- personally, for people going through this, when it is guided or supported by somebody else, it's naturally easier because then you don't have the excuses in your head. Then you can't make the joke in your head. Then you can't like stop yourself. That's why I got you mm-hmm. to breathe. Because the breathing is the part of disarming the ego. It's, it's regulating your nervous system. So I got you to disarm the ego, which was like, you know, swinging around his chair, which was like, I don't know if we're really going to do this or what it's going to be. And then when you surrendered, you saw the magic beneath. So yeah, I could feel the weight pushing up saying, no, no, stay right. tense, stay tense, don't. Exactly. 
like you said, and that comes in terms of making a joke because making a joke allows you to stay tense and not surrender, which allows you to not change. Hmm. So I would say, you know, for most people who are listening, how I do it, because I've been doing it now for so many years, for almost like 10 years now, but how I do it and reparent myself is every time I have, quote unquote, a negative emotion, a hard situation, a trigger that comes up, I am telling you guys that this is not actually that moment itself, that moment, that situation, what your partner just said, what your boss said, you're not doing the jiu-jitsu, that's bringing up something deeper. So I use those moments to create some separation with the present. I'll say like, give me a second. If I'm with my partner, I'll say, give me a few moments. I'll go to the washroom, throw cold water on my face and my neck, which again, disarms the ego, regulates the nervous system. I'll breathe for a little bit. And then I'll go back and I'll see, what am I really hurting from in this moment right now? What is this moment bringing up for me that I've been hurting from from the past and that's happened before? And where does it remind me of something I've experienced before? Then even if I can go backwards a few weeks, a few months, a few years, or even right to my childhood, I'll go back, I'll see that younger version, and I'll say, what did you want in that moment but not get? That's what reparenting is really about, is about finding the moment of where you had a need that just wasn't fulfilled. And then in your own mind, through, you know, this, when you meditate or slow down your brainwaves through nervous system regulation, et cetera, you're actually slowing down your brainwaves enough so that you can get into your subconscious mind, which otherwise you can't do. Only happens when you're sleeping. Five minutes maybe as you're going to sleep or as you're waking up. Otherwise, you can't do as an adult. So when you go through these meditative processes and you're like reflecting and you slow down your brainwaves, you're opening up your mind to newer ideas, newer opinions, newer feedback about yourself. So you take those same situations and moments which are so traumatic, rejecting, painful, and now you don't have to change the outcome, but you change how you felt having that outcome. Like I said, going back as a parent, that's why it's called reparenting, going back as a parent, as a loving, caring figure to that same inner child, picking them up in that moment where they felt failure and they were crying and daddy celebrating them and them being like, this is weird, but I love it. What's happening? then this child starts to feel more soothed, starts to feel like, you know what? I can fail in life, so I'm going to take chances. I can fail in life, so I don't have to be perfect. I'll do it the way I believe and love and, and like express. Hmm. And that changes how we live in the present moment because it influences our subconscious mind and our hearts, as long as we're feeling it in the body as well. I feel like, you know, that scene in Fight Club, the movie where... Right. He goes to the self-help group and it's the first time he's finally let out his emotions yeah. and he sleeps. Like just now I, I've got massive black bags under my eyes because I'm not sleeping right. And I, I feel mm. like I'm actually able to, I finally let go. Like I can finally just yeah, chill and relax. And, you know, we, we obviously never talked about doing that. And I was just kind of like, <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. And I finally decided, why am I not, why am I, fi- why am I going to pretend? You know, before mm. I would have pretended through that. Now it's kind of, well, this is there. This guy, his material has helped you so much at the start of the journey. And now he's going right. to do this guy, you think that's going to help you? And I was like, and that's what I mean, is now this older version of myself. If you'd done that a few years back, I'd have been like, yeah. well, let's, you know, now it's kind of, yeah, let's go. Let's do it. Let's get yeah. in and give yourself all. And I just, in my head, I can always feel like, I wish I'd known this earlier. And that's, again, another excuse. I'm beating right. myself up for not right. knowing. I'm trying to right. just find something to justify. And it's, right. 
it's when you start looking at that, you're like, whoa, this is incredible. And mm-hmm. I, I mean, I know um, we're over a time limit, so I'm really sorry for that. But no, 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 I enjoyed it. That's why I took you through it. You know, it takes two to dance, so you can't apologize as much as I can't. But what would you want as listening now? Because I mean, I know so many people want to do that with you and mm-hmm. find these accountability partners and just finally deal with whatever's holding them back you know so they can go forward how can we join like the gauntlet program how can we get your coaching what what was what's all involved in the gauntlet like this i think will be life-changing for a lot of people but Mm -hmm. how can they find out more information about that what do you just on that kind of thing alone is there anything like other services that you offer that people can pick up because i know a lot Mm -hmm. of people are going wow i want that how can right. they? How can they find that for themselves? Well, the the Gauntlet is a powerful eight week program that's gotten really successful for us over three years, and so much so that we've expanded to also doing them in England, um, you know, and Europe. And we do them; all of them are online. Mm-hmm. And right now, we're currently running some batches for like English students or UK, you know, uh, participants. So you can find out all the information that you need on um, we have a website called the gauntlet experience.com. And um, on that website, there's all the information. And, and actually there's even testimonials of people like real life stories where people are crying because of how much of change they're seeing in their life. Those are real videos on there. And there are stories about, you know, what it, what it's actually about and that's how you can apply. But, we qualify our participants for the gauntlet. We want to make sure that they're willing to do this work so that we can put them in a container with other people willing to do this work so that we can guarantee a much stronger result than just saying, hey, we want your money, you want to do this work, come in, let's take you. So that's why we have a qualification call with a member of our team and then they qualify a candidate and they come in. I don't do, people have asked me a lot about one-on-ones right now. And I don't do one-on-ones right now because I'm like managing all the coaches I've trained and everything going on right now that may happen next year. But for people who want a starting place, who feel like, you know what, I may not be ready to jump into the gauntlet. I may not be able to jump in the gauntlet. The gauntlet may not even have a time for me right now. There is a little membership that we call the Emotional Freedom Collective. And on this membership, we do like two calls in a month for the entire group, you know, and people join on Zoom, whatever. And they're based on different topics that support them in their healing journey. Last week, last month, the topic was coping with heartbreak, the tools that can help you cope with heartbreak. Before that, it was about how to understand your father wound, the wound that you have with your father that you may be projecting into your partners and attracting certain relationships, affecting your own masculinity, femininity, etc. So each we month there we have a certain topic and then when people feel ready enough they can take the step into wanting to go to the gauntlet all of that information really you can also find on my website which is the or people can find it on our instagram and i would recommend people tune into our instagram if they haven't already because that's where we put a lot of our value out there which is free for people to, to see and consume and there's a link the link tree link where they can get information about the different products you know different like um, journeys they can have with us and what do we do once we start this journey you know after because i could feel that you were pulling out the cork to let some of it out and i know that as i do this more and more and more it's going to come out and i'm going to change etc 
But how do you focus your students to then go forward to say, this will come up, you'll deal with this, but I want you to do this as the newer version of yourself. I want you to focus on this. Do you have plans of how they do it or do you just kind of let them realize, like accept and give compassion to who they were so they can go and find out who they want, who they truly are going forward? Or do you have plans? So um, the journey is, is constructed so that it can take people through the process of starting slow and then getting into those big wounds and then recognizing how the wounds show up for them in the present, finally getting to a place where they can design the future that they want. And that comes like right towards the end of the program. So I know it's, it's, it seems scary or challenging for a lot of people who want to come into it, but it is so it's a catered program for 56. It's like going to rehab for the mind. And for, so for eight weeks, for 56 days, there is enough of that support. We have like a whole bunch of coaches in each program who'll support everybody through the journey. You have a certain amount of homework, but continuously we encourage people to know that the journey is very individual as well, that some people may have like certain revelations early on. Some may have them later. But at the end of the day, it is taking you through your own process of healing, disarming your ego, changing your patterns, and getting to be like the version of you that you really deserve to be, honestly, without all the layers of conditioning and everything else. I tell people that doing the inner work is not like becoming super, like Superman or Superwoman or anything like that, which is so arbitrary also. But what it really is like is that imagine that each of us is born pure. We're born like a beautiful light. And as you go through life and experiences and conditioning, which is basically, you know, our parents' opinions that are projected onto us, society's opinions and ways to be projected on us, each time something happens, there's a blanket that's added over this light. So with a bad breakup, there's a blanket. With, you know, bullying or something in school, there's another blanket. A traumatic experience somewhere else, blanket. Ultimately, to a point now where where we are is all we see is the blanket. We don't know that there's a light underneath. So what we're trying to do now is we're not trying to become some invincible beings. We're taking off those blankets by doing this therapeutic work one step at a time, bit by bit, taking off each blanket that doesn't need to be there anymore and doesn't serve us anymore to a point where slowly we start to see the light shining through a little bit. That's what you're talking about. Like you now at 40, you're making different choices than you would have at 30. You're seeing the light coming out a little bit. And as you take off more and more of those layers, you can finally see that light shine and living when that light shines with that light is an absolutely empowering, magical process for a human being. It's, it's so invigorating the life that you keep creating because you're in love with this life and in love with that every day. Is that <laughs> what you want people to take from this, that they can change, that they deserve to be happy, healthy, compassionate? Yeah, that's, you know, as you're saying that, it's weird because it's it's bringing emotions to my surface and bringing tears to my eyes because I think it's you're letting people find themselves again. Yeah. And the reason why it makes me feel so emotional is because I know what it was like when I when I was living from such a wounded conditioned place where I was living a life I thought would have been a good life, but led to like no joy and satisfaction for myself. And I know how difficult it was. Sometimes even to just wake up every day, sometimes to work through a heartbreak. And I know how good it feels now to get to this point. 
And when I see people, I actually see a reflection of myself. And that's why I want to offer them what I know and who I am and what I've gone through. Nothing I've ever taught is something that I've just got out of a random book or that I've just believed some, some like weird thing out there. It's things I've practiced and seen. And I want people to live with that same level of love, integrity, and self-acknowledgement because they deserve that. And you know what? Maybe it's also a little selfish because if they live like that, imagine how beautiful our community, our world would be, our education would be, our systems would be. So fucking amazing. And maybe there's a little bit of that selfish interest that's in there to say, I also want the world to become a better place so I can love living in it even more. Yeah. Because that's what we all deserve. But I mean, to to take away all the bull and the all the drama that people have built and let hurt them and shape them. You're letting people find who they truly are again. And that is, yeah. that is beautiful. It's amazing. And just going through that two minutes with you, I realized there is a completely different Ian, not the one I would yes. like to think I am or who I'd portray to be. There's that little boy again that you need to find. And I know you're going to change so many yes. lives. And that's why I wanted to have you on two minutes on your Instagram. I was like opened up so much different areas of darkness to look at. Can you just quickly go back over your so, your sort of social media handles? So your Instagram mm-hmm. was at the inner yachts. Yes, the Instagram is at the inner yachts. Um, do you want me to spell it out or the? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's so your and your just to quickly to your website. So I'll put all this in the show notes. But okay. Beautiful, is yeah. there any is there any sort of other things apart from your link tree on your Instagram and we've also got the gauntlet is it the gauntlet yes, experience the gauntlet yeah the gauntlet experience.com so on our homepage there's different tabs that'll take people through where they can you know work with us whether it's the gauntlet the retreat whatever on our Instagram is actually probably like that link tree that's in there probably has more um, defined links of what's available. There are some free uh, courses also that we offer on there just for people to like initiate the inner work. Um, the membership offer is also on there. Same things on the website, but it's, yes, it's T-H-E, the inner, I-N-N-E-R, and then YATS, Y-A-T-S. Um, that's what we go by. And it's because it was meant to be a version of the inner child. And I was like, who's my inner child? It's baby Yats. So I'm going to throw him in there. <laughs> I'm going to make it cool. the inner Yats. Well, that's it for another week. And thank you for listening. It's now time to take what you've learned and use it to develop and enhance your life with the key points mentioned. Listen, try it, embrace it. Use it and crush it. Now's your time to hit that next level in your life. If you liked this episode, then please leave a comment on the show notes or a review of the show on your podcast platform. Everything helps evolve the show. Until next week, keep seeking the next level in your life.